Welcome to week three of Three and Out. I'm Gary Gray. I'm with Dustin Pierce and David McReynolds. We're going to talk about West Texas football, some college football. And as always, we're going to do our three topics and then we're going to be out of here. So Midland Lee, Midland High, District 26A opener this Friday. Midland High coming in on a roll, 4-0. and I'm sorry, Midland Lee coming in on a roll at 4-0. and Midland High, 0-4. So... Uh, it's going to be quite a game. It could always go either way. It's the big crosstown rivalry. Dustin, you guys, you and Luke have been calling those Midland League games, so uh, give us a little preview. Yeah, what's hard to know is exactly what you said. When a rivalry you know, comes to be on a Friday night, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, there's been many cases in this rivalry where the underdog is one and a year where the other has gone on to do really big things. So here's what we know about Lee. Uh, defensively, it's interesting because this is probably the better defense they've had in a long time. However, as we spoke off air, they've given up big plays in every game except for one on the first offensive series. So they've been burnt for 75 yards, 80 yards, et cetera, et cetera, and have really been um, kind of exposed, and yet they always seem to make adjustments, come back, and then they, they hold the opposing offense. So like last week, they give up a big touchdown, and then after that, they only give up a total of 14. So it's just interesting. But offensively, I mean, it's absolutely insane. They've totaled at least 530 yards in all four games. Wow. Uh, last week they had 558 yards of offense, and they're fairly balanced. They're going to be more of a run-heavy team, but two running backs who are really just absolutely electric, and Avery Akbar and Josh Trailer. Yet Colby Standard also can throw the football well, threw for over, um, I think this time he threw for uh, over 150 yards, but he's got multiple receivers who can catch. So this elite team is much improved, and here here's going to be the key. Just just hear me now. Lee has depth. It's something they haven't had in a long time. So someone goes down, someone gets hurt. Uh, Lee's able to kind of replenty, uh, refresh the stock, and, and and they just continue to move forward without any problems. And so, I see Lee being victorious in this one solely based on the fact that it appears, and you'll you'll talk next. The Midland High's young. And uh, Lee has also kind of grown some of these guys up who have had experience over the years when Lee struggled. So now they're kind of reaping the benefits of going through the hard times. Yeah. And honestly, I think we see Lee start 5-0 and for the first time since 99. And of course, 99, they went undefeated, That's went right. on to win the national championship. Um, so there's the Lee Rebels, definitely a much improved team. However, there's still some holes on defense. I mean, the MRT article this week read the defense could be the key to having a special season. I agree with that to a degree, but I still don't believe that this is uh, – I still believe that the defense has plenty of issues that they need to resolve. However, we've seen them slowly do so as the season has progressed. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see how they match up against Midland High, Gary, who I guess has just really kind of struggled. Yeah, they really have. Lost to Keller last week, 36-26. to 26. And as you talked about, I think one of the keys, and, and David, you need to expound upon this, but as you said, Midland Lee's defense has a few holes on it. And to win, Midland High is going to have to find a way to expose those holes on defense. And that's going to be a challenge for them as we look at the stats on the year for Midland High. They're still not even completing 50% of their passes. They're below 500 on completion percentage between both quarterbacks. And that, you know, so they're not connecting. Their quarterbacks have not been accurate. 
Um, you know, the bright spot has been the run game with Gates. Gates is such a hard runner. Um, he's racked up almost 500 yards this year in four games. Wow, so, that's impressive. So for that offense, it's been effective, uh, been the most effective tool they've had. Yeah, last week, uh, 268 rushing yards, 107 from Gates, 91 from the quarterback, Sudden Sapien. Yeah. And that, you know, Sapien's being flushed out of the pocket. And that is one of the positives with Sapien is uh, McDonald wasn't as mobile. He wasn't able mm. to uh, to get out of the pocket and create some uh, some things, make some things happen and get some yardage and pick up some first downs when he was getting flushed out. Sapien is able to make that happen on offense. And that's, that's another dimension they've added to their offensive game. And one of the problems uh, last week, you know, up until – Game four, Midland High had only three offensive turnovers. They had, I think, four in this game. They started the first two possessions were turnovers. Yeah. And then Keller scores 23 points in about a four-minute span in the second quarter, including a safety followed by a kickoff return mm -hmm. after the safety. So it was just sort of a just a gut check there. Midland High nice. struggles to start the second half in four possessions this year. They've they've had a couple, I think, a couple of turnovers and. A couple of three and outs, and so I, I think that's that's going to be a key for them is establishing some way to get through that lead defense and starting the second half a little better. Yeah. So I I agree. They they're going to have to figure out how to get the ball. If that's the only hole in Lee is is their defensive questions maybe. Well, and most have. of Lee's defensive questions are in their secondary, and they're still moving personnel around. They've had injuries. But every, every game, save one, they've been burnt for a big play on the first series. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then they kind of shore something up. They change something. So I think, I mean, you got to look. Lee's interior, their front line, and then their linebackers are solid. They've got a great secondary. They're just, I'm still not sure that they have the right guy in the right places. And so we've seen them really change some guys around trying to figure out the right fit to stop some of those explosives. Well, it will be interesting seeing Midland High's defense, which the strength is stopping the run game, mm -hmm. seeing how they perform against uh, Trailer. Yeah, and, and, and let's give and you some Adler. updated stats here. Uh, yeah, Trailer so far in his four games, 70 carries, 782 yards. 10 yards a carry, not yes. bad. Uh, Akbar, four games, 50 carries, 469 yards. Wait. 50 for 400? Yeah, so 469. So Akbar is averaging 9, nine uh, four a game, and Trailer's averaging 11 2. So a basically, game. you hand off. Or 11 2 a play, I'm sorry, a carry. Yeah. So you're going to get Not first a game. down. Excuse that. Every yeah. play. And, and, and here's another number for you Josh Trailer, 11 touchdowns on the season already Ooh. in four games. Very solid. Colby Standard is thrown for 783 yards and seven touchdowns. So. It's going to be interesting. Again, I think Midland High still very much has a chance in a rivalry game like this. We look at Texas versus OU is kind of my scale. Mm -hmm. There's been some bad Texas teams beat good OU teams and vice versa. Right. You know, uh, I, I don't think that we say that Lee is like going to win hands down. There's no chance for Midland High. You never know. But I think Lee will be favored. It'll be interesting to see what can happen with a 5-0 start. So you can listen to that broadcast. We'll both, it's interesting this week, we're both broadcasting yes. from separate booths on different stations. Right we're, across the glass from each yeah, other. Yeah, so we can bang on the glass and hassle each other. So David and I are going to be on KFZX Classic Rock 102.1. You guys are going to be on KCRS AM 550. Remember, you can download those apps. We'll both go on the air at 7. 
who knows? We may have a little uh, cross talk going there. We may need to have a little fun at halftime That's or right. some way, somehow. We'll figure that out. So District 26A, again, uh, you've got four undefeated teams, San Angelo Central, Midland Lee, Tascosa from Amarillo, and Permian. And then uh, Odessa High lost again, went to 2-2 two and two after the 2-0 and o start. Midland and Wolforth Friendship both both 0 and 4. Any thoughts, uh, real quick summary there on what's going to happen district wise? Well, it's interesting. You know, Permian was supposed to play a team from New York and they canceled. Oh, that's what happened. So okay. Permian doesn't play this game and they still get a buy in district. So Permian's going to be a game behind. I don't know if that helps you or if that hurts you. I think I, you can make a case both ways. I think they play this week and then they do. Off again. Then they have another buy. So they have their district buy. Wow. One out of three weeks, which isn't really a good thing depending on who your opponent's going to be. But some will by. tell you that the rest and the ability to recuperate or to heal is good. Rehabilitate is probably a better word. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll see long term. I think, again, Central, Permian, Lee, and Tascosa is your top four teams. It'll be interesting. Tascosa, I, I don't have a read on. They played Amarillo High pretty close. But Lee has them next weekend. So after Midland High, they're going to they're gonna host Amarillo-Tascosa. And I think that'll be a huge kind of litmus test for us. Is we know Central's going to be great. We know Permian's going to be great. Where is Tascosa? Are they good? Are they great? Are they just had they played a week off season or a week preseason schedule? We'll see. And looking at things now, would you agree, David? I think Midland High is going to have to depend on some people to knock off a Tascosa to get that fourth playoff. Spot. Yeah, they're obviously going to need a lot of help yeah. from other teams in the district. And this district is notorious for beating each other up. Absolutely. The With the top three, if you if you take Central, Lee, and Permian, I don't see any of them going through district unscathed, potentially. Maybe St. Angela. I was Maybe about St. to St. say, the only team that I think has a high, that there's a high probability that they can is Central because they've done it mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot recently. Yeah. So let's move on to a little bit of local, uh, local football. Our other teams, Midland Christian, they fall to three and one, but they played just uh, just a steamroller team. Kind of a mini Big Twelve team. Yeah, Fort Worth All Saints <laughs> ranked twentieth overall in the states, number one in the big school taps division. Uh, they go to four and zero. Oh. They're playing. They played Midland Christian, who's actually number one in the in the division two division taps. Two. So you sort of had the. Yeah, the, the battle for superiority going there, but the Saints come in and uh, have 440 yards on offense. Uh, McClendon, Greg McClendon, said he was pleased with how they played. He he knew they had a great defense, but it it wasn't quite it. He, he was a little bit surprised that they were that good. Yeah, I was actually at that game. Oh, you were. Uh, okay. I got a chance since Lee played on Thursday. So this, uh, the Saints were huge, man. I mean, they were they're big. They have five D one players. Wow. Um, they're they're just they're tough. And honestly, you play a better defense, and the lanes aren't there for Peyton Powell mm-hmm. to run like what he's been used yeah. to this year. He had to throw a little more. There's some drop passes, but in the end, I think that they they played with them well. And you've got to play some really tough teams like that, especially when you start three and zero. I think yeah. it kind of brings you back down to earth, and you go, okay. Okay, they were great. We can play with them. Now let's get ready for our districts. Yeah, and for the end all, it really doesn't matter. You played a seasoned team that hopefully improved you. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week they host Shadow Creek from Pearland. So that's obviously, I don't think that's a district game. Shadow Creek's coming in 2-0, and and then I think they start district after that. So we'll see what happens with Midland Christian. Greenwood, 
after losing, I think, last week, they won. They beat San Angelo Lakeview 53-27. to Greenwood scores 31 points in the first half to uh, win pretty comfortably. The quarterback over there at Greenwood, uh, Jake Summers, threw for 242 yards, three touchdowns. So Greenwood 3-1 wow. on a roll. They host Fort Stockton uh, this week over in Greenwood. Fort Stockton's coming in at 2-2. Two and two. Was Lakeview a district game for Greenwood? I don't think so. No, okay. still still pre-district yeah. for them. Uh, Trinity, they have their first home conference game or district game this week. They're going to be playing Fort Worth Calvary Christian. That's Friday night here in Midland. Mm. So Trinity uh, actually with one win on the season. So they're, they were off, I think, the last week or two. And then they're going to start district at home this week. Very nice. So let's move on to college ball. Actually... And we'll start with our local college team, UTPB. Yeah, UTPB getting their first uh, Lone Star Conference win, their first Division II win of the year against Western New Mexico. When we were trying to figure out what is Western New Mexico, uh, that's out in Silver City, New Mexico. Silver City. Uh, UTPB gets a 41-32 win, but it's kind of interesting. Check this out. UTPB put up 311 offensive yards against Western New Mexico's 572. Uh, we saw the Falcons a little more balanced in this, threw for 168, ran for 143. While New Mexico was primarily airing it out, they threw for nearly 500 of their 572 yards. Oh, yeah. um, but UTPB getting it done, which is huge because they really have started slow, losing to a D3 team, then they played a D1 team, and then uh, have already lost the conference game. So they're back home this week after kind of a bit of a road stint. They're going to host Tarleton State, who's a perennial power in that conference. That game will be at 6 at Ratliff. And we would invite you, come on out to Ratliff at 6 p.m enjoy some college football regardless of anything else let's welcome that culture to the permian basin let's continue to help grow that football culture and, and remember this is a team in its second year of competitive play so it's going to take a while to grow it especially at the collegiate level um, but i think things are in motion uh, and i would just invite the permian basin to rally around college football and let's see what it could be but again falcons hosting tarleton state 6 p.m saturday all right let's move on to the big 12. uh yeah last week some surprises so oh my goodness oklahoma struggles at baylor beats them 49 to 41. yeah just did not see that coming. Uh, not at all. I yeah. also did not see TCU just destroying Oklahoma State like they did. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, here's my thing, and I've talked to some big OU fans this week about that. You know, of course, they're bitter, and, oh, I thought our team was better. And I kind of go, I don't know that you can get upset, honestly. I think my take is that a good team like OU is always going to have a close game against a team that's not as good. Everybody it, wants to knock you off. Everyone wants to knock you off. And there's no better way for Baylor to usher in the Matt Rule era than to knock off OU in Waco on a Saturday night when they actually have a decent attendance. Like, all the cards were in, in favor of the Bears to upset them. And, you know, I think the sign of a good team is that when things don't quite pan out the way they they should but you're able to still respond and rebound and I think what I take away from that is that Baylor Mayfield just stays talking trash that's all he does oh, is just God. runs his mouth but as for the the Horn Frogs 
We may have all overlooked them. Yeah. I, I, absolutely, I did. We may have all overlooked them. They Kenny Hill looked really sharp. That defense, though, yeah. you got to think this is a defense that shut down an Oklahoma State team that's had two of their offensive players in the Heisman talks, James Washington and Mason Rudolph. So, so TCU had a losing season last year. Their last two losing seasons were 04 and 2013, after which they went a combined 23 and two the following year. Ooh. Yes. So look out, Gary Patterson knows how to turn them around. He does. Uh, the other surprise for me, Texas Tech versus Houston. I, I really thought Houston would give them a better game, especially at home. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's funny. I've talked to some Tech fans who keep saying, "If there was a fifth quarter, we would have lost the last two games." <laughs> I laugh at that. But here's the thing, man. Tech has beat two decent opponents and although they kind of squeaked by that's better than we can say for them last year where they were finding ways to lose they're really? at least finding ways to win this year yeah. um, and I think you know their their fifth year quarterback is doing a great job that cootie wide receiver is a standout mm-hmm. they've got some pieces in in place to maybe shake up the big 12 a little bit we'll see I think this is a tech team and I'll just say this now and I'll open it for discussion I'm not going to be shocked if they upset Oklahoma State at home. And I won't be this sh- weekend. It's this weekend. Oklahoma State comes to Lubbock. Yeah. If Tech knocks them off, I'm not going to be on the podcast next week going, oh, my gosh, can you believe it? I'm going to be going, of course they did. Right. Like, not because it was expected as much as, well, that's just kind of what Tech does. I think they're back to being Tech in that regard, where they sneak up on a top team. Yeah. What's your thoughts? We'll find out if they're for real. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, We're going to find that, out this weekend. part that's been a suspect for Tech's always been that defense. They're, they're always going to put a lot of points up on the board, but defense has let them down by just allowing the other team to run away with things. But against Houston, we saw the defense come to life and really prove themselves on the field and keep the offense in the game. Well, And if they can score the points like they do, you can go from having a D-minus defense for all these years to having – you know, a C defense or C plus, and you can get by because That's you're going right. to score. That's right. So the Longhorns, uh, they play they at Iowa State. Yes. So here, here's the issue coming up for our, our Texas Longhorns. So they go to Iowa State. That's tomorrow night. Then three-game stretch, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Yep. That's what it always is. Not isn't looking it? good. Yeah. It doesn't. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Texas we saw in, in Los Angeles two weeks ago shows up again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, I think Iowa State played really, really close to Iowa, who played a really close game against Penn State. That mm-hmm. came down to a touchdown just right. last week. Mm-hmm. It was the you know the late game on ABC. I believe Texas beats Iowa State. I think that we. I think Herman is going to be able to make longer-term adjustments that Strong couldn't quite wrap his head around. Mm-hmm. I think we saw that against USC. Um, but then I think they go one and two the following weeks. I really do. We'll see. We'll see. I think they can get a win over Iowa State, win over K-State. They probably don't upset Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, but we shall see. Okay, and then for all you Aggie fans out there, ha. boy, what a game last week at Jerry World, beating wow. Arkansas in two overtimes. Uh, I must say that was my five-month-old grandson's first game to attend. Nice. College game. Nice. Yeah, so I'm sure he was their lucky charm. Absolutely. So they host South Carolina this week at home, the Aggies do. And I, I, I just can't tell which where they're at. 
they they just sort of teeter totter. Which teams the McNeese State team going to show up, or the team that beats Arkansas? Yeah, and I think fortunately South Carolina is not a powerhouse this year. It's it is a pretty even game. Texas A and M is favored by eight and a half points. So, okay, so home game, home game. This and, that's and a that twelfth man is powerful. Arguably one of the best home yeah. field advantages yeah. and coolest place to watch. That's going to help him. So. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's we're gonna do our three and out. I'm gonna let Dustin go first, and then I think I'm gonna go because I don't know where you're heading yet. Well, so, all right, Dustin. So I'm gonna take a turn from uh, the political climate of today. I'll let Gary handle that, and <laughs> I just want to talk for a second on multi-sport athletes. There's been a trend in this generation to cancel out a second sport and to focus solely on one sport, and the thought process has been logical. It's, you know what, if I play one sport, I have a less of chance of getting hurt. I'll let Gary speak to that in a minute. If I play one sport, I have a better chance of fine-tuning my skills so that I can play said sport at a higher level. Okay, great arguments. I can understand that. I disagree with that approach for three reasons. I think being a multi-sport athlete benefits young people in three ways. Let's start with camaraderie. There's something about playing with a team year-round that I believe fosters not just athletic skill and talent, but social skills, responsibility, growing up, that when you are focused on me, I'm playing one sport, I'm gonna work out on my own, I'm going to do what I can do to get to the next level, but you're not thinking about how do the other guys around me in various sports help grow me? How do I learn to grow them through being a team player? I think being a part of a team, the camaraderie is huge. Also, the conditioning. I think when you are being pushed by your team, being pushed by coaches to perform rather than in a one-on-one environment with a trainer or one-on-one with another player, there's something about the conditioning you're getting from live action too that I think is going to make you a better player. And then the last one is the competition. You, you play fall baseball or you play in a club team. There's something about competing against star athletes in another sport that I believe set something alive in you as they continue to as you continue to work and to grow as a young person so camaraderie competition conditioning three things that i believe are are better reasons uh to continue to be a multi-sport athlete and speak just for a minute dispel the myth for us gary that by by playing one sport you're going to be less prone to injury yeah i'll surmise it to say as a physical therapist and, and seeing these kids through my 30 plus year career boy i that's a long time. Oh. And <laughs> research shows without a doubt that single sport athletes have a greater chance of wear and tear, overuse, repetitive use injuries than multiple sport athletes. So does something about that that conditioning and that playing multiple sports speak into the injury side of Absolutely. things? Absolutely. And then if you look at the other end, and you can talk to some coaches that are pro-multi-sport, they see the advantages of, okay, in my sport, Maybe it's you know X, but over here they're also getting work on Y and Z. Whether that's you know a lot of strength or speed in agility. my sport, but over here they're getting some work on agility. Yeah. It's sort of like back when uh, the NFL players took ballet. Yeah, that's a great it, point. It, it, it's sort of the same thing, but there is definitely evidence that multiple sport athletes have a greater or have a less lesser chance of having repetitive stress mm-hmm. type injuries. Yeah. So. All right, great. Okay, I'm going to go political. Get it. I- I'm sick of hearing about this 
the flag and the kneeling, but I'm going to talk about it one last time. Okay. So, everybody knows Donald Trump, the president, comes out with uh, his comments about firing individuals who dis- disrespect the national anthem and the flag. Was it stupid to say in public? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does he need to stay off Twitter and act presidential? Absolutely. Thank you. Was he incendiary? Yes. Absolutely. Was he politically motivated? Probably. Does that change the fact that he was probably right? No. I don't think so. So let's examine the different responses. So you've got the Baltimore Ravens owner, Steve Biscotti, Hundred, he says, a hundred percent supports his players' decision to kneel during the national anthem. So, they played in London this weekend. Was he also supportive of them to stand during the UK national anthem? I think that's awful. Cleveland Browns owners, the Haslam's, say they don't want to let misguided, uninformed, and divisive comments from the president or anyone deter us in our efforts to unify. So, they supported the kneeling. The second version. Keep off the field and remove the decision process. The the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's what they did. They kept their players off the field because, quote, they don't want their players divided between those who kneel and those who stand. We're not going to let divisive times of divisive individuals affect our agenda. So I'm not going to say right or wrong. That was their approach. The third, join and separate, a la Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. Come out, kneel before the flag's out then go stand unified for the national anthem. And then the two that I thought were a little out there, Odell Beckham Jr. sort of protests during the game. Did you see that? He makes a touchdown catch. One, he puts up his fist in the air. The other, he kneels down and acts like a dog peeing on a fire hydrant. Very classy. And then if you go to Tom Brady, his quote, I believe love is the greatest thing. (laughs) Take a stance, man. Come on. Anyway. I think my two cents, and I spoke on this in the first three and out, but just further clarity for me, I, I, I do understand that everyone has the freedom to protest. I believe that's what makes America great. Like, you can protest, man. Good. That is great. And I also understand that the protest is not regarding the flag. You're not protesting the flag. You're not protesting the national anthem. You're protesting, I guess they would they would say, racism and the different killings and the cop violence and things like that. However, the problem is I'm likely in the minority. We are likely in the minority for people who understand what they're protesting. Sure. Most people have no clue. And so my mindset would be, why be so reactive to protest something like this when you, with your platform, could proactively pour into the next generation and help them see how to come up with a solution to some of this and to protest in such a way to where good happens. Kaepernick starts this whole thing. What good has come of it? Well, and I think that goes back to look at the leader, okay? And this is where I'll stop. Roger Goodell. NFL commissioner, he of the $30 million annual salary, says, quote, the NFL and our players are at our best when we help create a sense of unity, mind you, unity, in our country and our culture. Divisive comments like these demonstrate an unfortunate lack of respect for the NFL. Really? Who cares? (laughs) So here's the confusion here. Yes, we as a country need to find ways to fix all injustices, but that is not the issue that we're talking about. What they're doing has nothing to do with exposing or solving those issues, as you said, Dustin. So they're promoting division. So if his keywords are divisive comments and lack of respect and division, here is my question. Where the heck were all these people 
including the commissioner, when Colin Kaepernick started this. Because Colin Kaepernick was as divisive as one can be. They said nothing. And I'll stop. Yeah, they left the door open for the rest of this to happen by not chopping that off early, stopping that, making their statement. Uh, you know, NASCAR has come out strongly, mm-hmm. which you would expect. Mm-hmm. It's, it's well, NASCAR. You have to ask, what is more divisive and disrupting than disres- disrespecting our flag and national anthem in front of the entire world? In front of the entire world. And I, I sent a message to Major League Baseball through their Facebook page this week to say, please, they had their first player take yes. a knee this week as well. Uh, uh, catcher. Oakland Angel, Oakland A's catcher. And I asked, I, I said, please, stop this now. Don't let it go crazy. Because the tradition of baseball is that all the players line up on the baselines Absolutely. for the national anthem. Always has been a part of the game. And to see that creep into Major League Baseball would really be awful and will probably Just wait to the game. NBA. Begins. Okay, so and the NBA will be that. Throw way. this out. Yeah, because they're all mad at Trump over the Warriors, and the oh. Warriors aren't coming to the White House. Yeah, and that's a mess. But who cares? Here to delay to belabor a little more. So the NFL game operations manual, mm-hmm. like their bylaws, say, "quote All players must be on the sideline for the national anthem and must stand at attention and face the flag with their helmets in their left hand." So they're not. So where is Roger Goodell, the commish, on an issue like that? He's he's a coward. He is a coward. So, what say you, David? Hey, let's continue. <laughs> the, when I began last week, I brought you the uh, results of a study from Boston University about the impact of uh, boys under 12 years old playing contact football and the potential for head injuries. And the result of that study. Uh, and they compared NFL players, college players, high school players, just all spectrums. But the common thing was that they had started playing before the age of 12, contact football. And there was a 50% increase in behavioral issues with young men that had done that. Well, this past week, we get the results back from Aaron Hernandez uh, postmortem. And uh, if you remember Aaron Hernandez, he's the tight end for the New England Patriots, who was an outstanding tight end and was uh, had meteoric mm-hmm. rise in the NFL. Yes. But at the early age of 27, committed suicide. He was in trouble for murders. had had been consistently in trouble. I don't know that the public really knew. You know, the NFL is pretty good about keeping some of that stuff out of out of the public. But committed murder, or and then ultimately committed suicide, and his uh, examination showed that he had such a severe form of degenerative brain disease, they call it CTE, that the damage was akin to that of a player well into their 60s. Wow. Oh, my goodness. At 27? At 27. So it's it, the lawyers for the family, you can imagine they're lawyered up, the most severe case they'd ever seen in someone Aaron's age. So this, this adds another dimension to the to the situation, and the NFL obviously is not saying anything. They're not going to respond to this at this point. They know they have a pretty big issue here, but CTE is often marked by problems with controlling aggression Mm. and impulses and some degree of dementia, as well as mood swings, lapses in judgment, and disorganized manner. Wow. So that's a a whole other world that's going to open up to the NFL. They're going to have their challenges. This, and I think the brain injury thing is going to be huge for them because you watch these guys getting knocked out all the time in games. And this this is going to go on for years. It's going to go on for years. And once it hits financial situations where there's judgments made, awarding 
compensation to families because of brain injuries to players that have gone before, players that have retired. It, it's going to have a serious impact on the game. It's going to change the game fundamentally in some way. And you wonder at some point if you – how do you change it and leave it as football? Mm-hmm. As flag, tackle football. Flag football. Without putting flags out there and National taking helmets flag Well, there's also league. neurologists that have come out this week saying that they allow their kids to play football. So you're going to get both sides. It's just it's going to be one of those long-term mm-hmm. things where we may not see this play out for another few decades. I think uh, you're right. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Well, we have played out for the day. Uh, so that's going to be it for three and out. We hope you enjoyed listening. We're going to try to be here every week during the high school football season. Remember to listen to us as we broadcast this Friday, Midland High versus Midland Lee, KFZX, KCRS. Download those apps. Uh, our understanding is with you, if you have iOS 11, there have been a little bit of difficulty uh, using the apps, but hopefully that'll be fixed. You can always listen to the, that on the radio or uh, the station uh website. That'll be it for this week's Three and Out. For David McReynolds, Dustin Pierce, I'm Gary Gray, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.